Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On our program tonight, the Prime Minister lays out the roadmap for net zero emissions in Canada, but it sets no short-term targets and contains no enforcement. It will be months before Canadians see a plan. Minister of Heritage, the leading environmental voice in Cabinet, will be here to explain the government's approach. Justin Trudeau calls in the opposition leaders for a COVID briefing as provinces struggle with the surge in cases and bring in wider restrictions. The NDP leader will be here to discuss what he heard from the Prime Minister this afternoon. And our panel of party strategists on the COVID response and those climate plans. And we'll begin tonight with the Liberal government's plan for getting to net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. That would mean cutting greenhouse gas pollution from 729 megatons in 2018 to zero over the next 30 years. And for context, no federal government has ever hit its climate targets, not once. To be clear, what we got today is a framework. It's not a plan. The bill was tabled in the House today. The first targets will be for 2030, and they will only be set six to nine months after the bill passes, along with a plan on how to get to those targets, including regulations for sectors of the economy. The bill requires the Minister of the Environment to present new targets and plans every five years after 2030 and to report to Parliament if the targets are missed. The Commissioner of the Environment would be tasked with auditing the climate plan at least once every five years. Missing from the framework, any plan for enforcement or penalties for failure to meet the targets. The Prime Minister today was pressed on why the targets won't kick in until 2030. We have committed to exceeding our 2030 targets. And we have taken real and significant action on fighting climate change every year of, uh, of our mandates over the past five years. Heritage Minister Stephen Gilbo was part of the climate announcement today. He is uh, the leading environmentalist in the cabinet. He joins me now. Uh, Minister Gilbo, uh, good to see you again. Let's, let's be clear. This isn't a plan, though. It, it is a framework to get to a plan. A lot of people are wondering today, why aren't there targets and details set out in this bill? Well, we already have a plan uh, that was announced in 2016 um, with dozens of, of, of different measures, um, with 70 billion dollars of committed investment between now and, and 2030 investment in electrification in public transit in uh, renewable energy in clean technologies so th the plan already is there um and and this as you say is is a framework because climate change is not something we'll solve overnight this is something that will take some time some decades and we need to have a vision as to where we're going so we can move back for backwards from there and saying okay well if it if this is where we want to be in 2050, mm. where do we need to be in 2045? Where do we need to be in 2040 and 2035? And that's what we're, we're really doing. I mean, there's a number, there's about 120 some countries that have a, a have made this commitment for to being carbon neutral right. or and net zero by, and, and by to be 2050. Clear, this, to be clear, this is the uh, the government you, you referred to today as the accountability piece, right? This, mm -hmm. is, this is supposed to bind you to the process. But exactly. we know it'll take up to nine months after the bill is passed to actually announce targets and, and a plan to how we'll get to those targets for 2030. Those targets will be... Well, we already, we already have targets for 2030. 
But we did commit during the last campaign to, to be more ambitious. And in fact, my, my colleague, Minister Wilkinson, uh, announced today right. that we will have soon a, a plan that will show how we go beyond those targets that we already have for 2030. What, why aren't, if, if we're in a climate crisis, what, why isn't the government setting targets for 2025? Well, I, I, everybody has targets for 2030 as per the Paris Accord. Um, so governments all around the world have agreed that, 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 that the targets they were setting was, was for, for, for 2030. I mean, as I said earlier, climate change is an immediate threat, but taking action re- means that we, we need a bit of time to put things in place, as you know, in a parliament like ours, mm. adopting a, a new bill, passing it through parliament, uh, adopting the regulation can, can easily take you know, anywhere between 12 to 18 months. So it's not something we can do overnight. Thank goodness we, we didn't start today. We, we started right when we were elected in 2015 after 10 years of inaction by the Harper government and the conservatives. So as I said earlier, we, we have put in place... Uh, I, I believe that, that it's around 45 or 46 different measures in the in the previous parliament. We we are continuing on our on our climate action because we know we need to do more. Right, and, and as as you know, um, you know, no 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 previous government of any stripe has met any of the climate targets uh, to date. So when you say that we're, we're going to be more ambitious and we're going to exceed the targets we've already set for for 2030 when we roll out. Uh, the details of this accountability and, and the minister rolls out the next plan for for targets in 2030. Uh, I guess, w- w- why do you want people to believe that if no government's ever hit the targets? Well, because no government has ever done what we've done. No government has ever has ever put a, a, a price on, on, on pollution like we did. No government has ever committed more tens of billions of dollars in investment to combat climate change and create jobs in Canada and create healthier communities. No government has ever adopted as, as, as many regulations as, as we have to try and make our different sectors more energy efficient, therefore polluting less. Uh, These are all things that we'd never seen before in Canada, or certainly nowhere near to the level of of what we're seeing now. Uh, We've never seen um, a prime minister so engaged in this issue. We've we've never seen a cabinet and a a government. I mean, we've we've spoken about Minister Wilkinson Mm -hmm. and environment, but we could be talking about Minister McKenna and everything she's doing in in infrastructure, a $10 billion investment a month and a half ago for, for, for green infrastructures. So for the first time ever, we have this whole of government approach. It's not just the environment minister. Right. It's it's everyone working on this. Already many of the environmental groups, including the one you used to lead, are lamenting the fact that there are no binding obligations to deliver results, just a requirement for the minister to explain why efforts to hit the targets uh, might fail if they do fail. So uh, a lot of people wondering today why there's nothing in the bill that provides for penalties or consequences if the government fails to meet the targets. Well, I mean, uh, you referred to the uh, the organization I used to work uh, to. Uh, the the headline of their uh, of their press release is a significant step forward. So, uh, granted, people ha- yeah. And to be fair, a lot like of the agents, a lot of the organizations are saying that. But almost to a to an organization, they come back to the targets out to thirty thirty, and the fact that there's there's no no enforcement measures that that uh, actually binds the go- government to targets they say are binding. Well, I mean, we looked at the the concept of penalties, but would the federal government be imposing penalties on itself? So what the finance minister would, would sign a check to the finance minister? I mean, we, we looked at different mechanisms, but ultimately this we're, we're putting this in, in a bill so that our government and governments to come 
will be forced to report back to Canadians and to Parliament in terms of their climate action. And it, it, it's it, it's about accountability. It's about transparency. And, I, and I, I'm first one to say that this bill doesn't solve everything, which is why we have to look at the whole of government approach uh, on this. This is one piece of many as part of our of our of our climate you, action. When you talk about being, you know, the, the promises the prime minister repeated today as well to, to exceed the target set for 2030. Give me a sense of, of, of what Canadians should expect to see. And you've talked about some of them beyond regulations on methane in the oil and gas industry, beyond a carbon tax. How's life going to change for Canadians in terms of trying to exceed the targets for 2030? You listen to people like Mark Carney, who used to, to be the governor of the Bank of Canada, uh, to talk about this. And him and, and many others around the world are saying that the economy of the 21st century will be a green economy or it simply won't be. Uh, and, and when you look at what France and, and Germany and South Korea are doing in terms of investment as part of the, the COVID recovery, Billions of dollars are going into these sectors in, in clean technology, renewable energy, electrification, uh, uh, biofuels. And I mean, it's, it's about creating jobs. It's about cleaner and, and safer communities, uh, because if we don't fight climate change, we will have more and more natural catastrophes. Um, and, and, and it's about doing what's right for our kids and our grandkids. And, and I think what, what, what people will see is, is a greener cleaner, safer Canada right. as we move forward. All right. Uh, Stephen Gilbo, Minister Gilbo, thanks for your time as always. Good to talk to you again. Thank you very much. Well, the Conservatives in a statement said Canadians are worried about the cost of a plan for achieving net zero. New Democrats uh, say setting targets for 2030 is too long to wait, a position shared by the Green Party. We cannot support um, legislation that looks like a plan, but is no plan at all. You know, that suggests that we are taking action when we are not taking any action at all. There is no point in putting in place accountability mechanism for a plan when you have not created that plan. And that is the situation that we're in. It's been another day of worrisome developments on the COVID-19 front. The province of Ontario reporting a slight decrease in new cases, 1,210 new cases, and another 28 deaths today. But surgeries being cancelled now because of the COVID strain on intensive care beds in the province. Quebec reporting another 1,207 new cases today, 34 new deaths. Both Ontario and Quebec and other provinces looking at more restrictions on gatherings and other activities, including Manitoba, which reported 475 new cases today and eight more deaths. The Premier of Ontario did uh, shed some more light today on why his province went public yesterday with the number of doses of vaccine that it expects to get from the federal government. They told us that we would get uh, uh, 1.6 million uh, doses from Pfizer and 800,000 uh, doses from Ontario. But in saying that, you have to divide that by two. So it's 2.4 million. And uh, so that, that will uh, allow us to do 1.2 million tests. A lot of questions today around the vaccine numbers game. And in Ottawa, the Prime Minister is suggesting those vaccine doses numbers for the provinces, they've not been confirmed. Yes, vaccines are coming. And yes, Canada will be ready and have the right plan to make sure that we're getting those out across the country. And those discussions are very much ongoing with provinces and other partners. Uh, but right now, it's too preliminary to make, uh, to make firm announcements. 
And on Parliament Hill this afternoon, the Prime Minister called in opposition leaders for a briefing with Canada's Chief Public Health Officer, Dr. Theresa Tam. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh was there, of course, and he joins me now. Mr. Singh, good to see you again. Um, good to see you. Uh, like I, so you were given the latest modeling numbers uh, from Dr. Tam, and uh, I expect those will be shared uh, tomorrow uh, with Canadians. The Prime Minister is going to be talking to Canadians as well tomorrow. So uh, it seems there's a certain level of anxiety and concern over these numbers. What did they say to you? Just that what we've seen across the country already, that there are some deeply troubling numbers. Numbers are on the rise, and uh, we've got to do everything we can to, to tackle this right now. And if we don't, uh, things are going to start to look bleak. But the positive thing is um, the numbers and the details will be out tomorrow. But the positive thing in all of this is that if we make the right choices now, we can turn this around. And that's what I really want to focus on, making sure people have the support and the help they need to stay home. The paid sick leave we fought for, we want to make sure people are accessing it. If they are sick, they need to stay home. And then the basic things that we've heard from the beginning, physical distancing, wearing our masks, uh, staying in one household, and limiting the spread, limiting mm. contact. Uh, Dr. Tam has talked about as many as 10,000 cases a day by in Canada by early next month if we don't get the surge under control. Um, have you seen numbers that are more worrisome than that? The, the numbers are very worrisome, absolutely. Uh, but but again, instead of getting paralyzed by fear, I'm, I'm hoping that we can look at the serious situation we're, we're faced with and make some good choices. Okay, let me, one let, of the let's things that there. we've seen... Sure, let, let's go there then. So, you know, uh, I, has the Prime Minister ever called you in before? Yes, we've had, uh, we've had conversations on the phone and we've had briefings in person. Okay, so was there any discussion at the, at the meeting today about what, what the government plans to do in, uh, over and above what it's already doing to try and bring these numbers down? Or that, uh, was he looking for input, for input from you and the others around the table today? No, there was not that discussion. The discussion was was uh, primarily or, or essentially entirely Dr. Tam and Dr. Njew who are providing information around what we're up against. Uh, we've been saying, though, one of the th important things today, we just announced, again, our call to immediately uh, make Rivera, which is a subsidiary, essentially, of the federal government, make it public. Right now it's for profit, but it's owned uh, as a federal agency owns it. So it needs to immediately become public and the for-profit care put the care of people, of, of our seniors, of our loved ones, ahead of dollars. We see that the for-profit system is broken in Canada. Everywhere there's for-profit, there are significantly higher rates of infection and death. And we need to make sure that it is a, a care system that is about long-term care, not about long-term profit. So, okay, if there was no, it was essentially just the briefing then, there was no sort of input on, on what to do next from a, a federal perspective, I guess, uh, which you know, leads me to ask you then, if, if the numbers are getting worse uh, and, and we're seeing a, a worse second wave than we had in the first wave, uh, why is it happening? Well, what we're hearing is, is that uh, some of it is, is the structural problems, workplaces are, are a place of transmission, making sure that workplaces are safe is vital. Some of it is individual practice. Uh, it's a combination factor. We're seeing some serious problems in the biggest outbreaks are in long-term care centers. And that's what we've heard. Long-term care homes are the biggest site of outbreak. And it is very clear that the for-profit model is directly connected to that. So where profit is more important than people, then we're seeing the results are people are getting sick and people are dying. And that's 
undeniably one of the major factors. It was the major site of outbreak in the first wave. And that's what to me is inexcusable. We mm. knew that it was a problem in the first wave. But and we've been long saying it's clear we've got to get profit out of long term care. The military had to be called in and, and we're still not seeing the action on the part of the federal government. National standards are something that Quebec is calling for. Quebec doctors are saying we want national standards. We're hearing people across the country saying national standards are vital. And we're hearing from many people. Today, we had the president of PSAC and the president of SEIU all saying we need to stop profit in long term care. Mr. Uh, Mr. O'Toole's put out a statement as well after the meeting, and, and he says in that statement, uh, we, we, again, he's referring to the worrisome numbers, but says, we're in this position because the government failed to give Canadians the ability to rapidly and frequently test for COVID-19, failed to tell Canadians how they plan to deliver a vaccine, and failed to be transparent with Canadians about what COVID-19-related information they're using to make decisions that affect lives and jobs. Do you share that uh, concern? Uh, I think that Mr. Tool has been completely disconnected from what people are going through. Uh, the re- the reality is the biggest outbreaks are in long-term care homes. So when we're saying that we've got to take care better, take better care of people in long-term care homes, that is directly related to the evidence and the actual problem. Uh, Mr. O'Toole and the Conservatives have, from the beginning of this, been focused on completely unrelated matters that don't actually speak to the facts and the evidence. The evidence is clear. Long-term care homes are where the most outbreaks are happening, where the most deaths are happening. And we know with great certainty that if we were to make long-term care homes better, safer, better staffed, make, make sure they're adequately funded, we would save lives. That is a fact. All right. And, and, and again, um, Mr. O'Toole seems to be completely disconnected from the reality that Canadians are faced with, All right. as Canadian, well as the, okay. the prime minister face, in, in, in fairness. The prime minister has known about this. We've called this okay. out and we said again and again, we need to quickly and immediately respond okay, to but, save lives in long-term care homes. We'll have to leave it there. Jagmeet Singh, thanks for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you. COVID vaccine questions, climate targets, lots to cover with our panel of party commentators. I'm joined this week by Liberal commentator Omar Khan. Samar Takest is a Conservative commentator and Kia Vashna Jaffe is an NDP commentator. Good to see you all, folks. How's everybody doing? Good, I hope. Living the dream. Good. Uh, Omar, look, look, let me start with you and the federal government's COVID-19 response. And what looks like this confusion over the rollout of a vaccine or vaccines and how many doses each province is going to get. But the prime minister saying today, look, it's too early to confirm how many doses each province will get. But the provinces are laying down numbers they say they're expecting to get. So what's happening here? Look, I suspect uh, the provinces uh, have a regular call, uh, at least at the officials level, uh, with their federal counterparts. You know, I used to be a chief of staff to a provincial health minister uh, in Ontario, and those calls were regular occurrences. So I suspect some numbers may have been thrown on, thrown out on one of those calls, maybe from some federal officials, but they're probably by no means final numbers. Uh, and I think what we had happen here in Ontario uh, was that the, the Ontario Minister of Health, the current Minister of Health, went out and shared some of those numbers publicly, perhaps right. without checking with her federal elected counterparts. Yeah, but, but um, so blip in the road, you know, I, I saw I saw the, the 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 numbers that she put out. It seems reasonable as a percentage of the overall federal procurement. My question is, uh, why are we only asking for for you know that level at this point? It, it looks like based on what Ontario estimates that they'll be getting, they'll only be able to cover the most vulnerable populations between January and March. 
so why aren't we leveraging our purchasing power to get more supply uh, earlier? There might All be right, a okay. perfectly plausible explanation for that, but I just think the public needs to know. All right. Uh, Samar, let me, let me turn to you. Is this just predictable pandemic confusion or, or letting numbers get out ahead of, uh, of, uh, of the settled numbers at some point? Or, um, or is there more to this? It, it becomes, you know, it becomes difficult uh, politically for the federal government to walk those numbers back if that's a possibility after the provinces have announced them. So I guess I guess I'm wondering here whether there's any politics being played here. Or is this all innocent? Yeah, I'd say it's consistent um, pandemic confusion. We've seen that the federal response around this pandemic has been confusing at the best of times. Wear masks, don't wear masks, confusion over the types of masks leave your house, see, don't see people, you can see two people. I mean, it's, it's, been, it's been a total mess from a communication standpoint. So I think that has now, you know, continued on to the issue of vaccines. And I, I'd say this, I think from a Canadian public standpoint, they're not interested in the inner workings of government and how they're deciding the allocations. What they want to know is that when the vaccines become available, Canadians and Ontarians who need them, and frankly, all Canadians, will have access to them. And what they expect from their government um, is to have that plan laid out and the strategy around it clearly communicated to the provinces and for the provinces to then communicate that to uh, to the residents of those okay. provinces. I, and that's that's been a failure in, in the response. Kiev Asha, what are your thoughts here? Are we seeing the provinces and the feds playing any kind of politics with this? Is this all innocent or is it is it part of a wider concern about uh, uh, coordination challenges to, to sort of clear message stuff to Canadians? Um, Peter, we're definitely seeing that the approach that everybody had hoped for in the first wave, um, you know, the approach of Team Canada, everybody on the same page, everybody in it together, working closely, putting politics aside, all of that is melting away. And, um, and it's seriously disconcerting. You know, you've got uh, just yesterday, every 15 minutes, we lost a Canadian to COVID. And um, this situation is going to get worse in this second wave. The possibility of a third wave or a very elongated second wave is a real possibility. We're going to have a difficult year ahead of us. And if our leaders and our uh, public officials cannot get their messaging uh, right, we're going to have a lot of problems. Yeah. One of them is going to be vaccine hesitancy. If we don't get the messaging right, if we're not clear when to expect it, what to expect from the vaccines and how it would go, you know, the polls show upward of 40% of Canadians are not exactly sure if they're going to take this vaccine. Herd immunity is not going to happen if we don't have 90 to 95% of the population taking the vaccine. Omar, do you, do you share that concern that the Team Canada approach we saw in, in wave one might be falling apart here? Yeah, I, look, I, I think it's a little bit overblown. I, I think us as political pundits tend to focus on these things a little bit more than the general public. You know, the, I, I think the federal government needs to focus on on what's in their lane and what is in their lane is is uh, vaccine procurement. Uh, and I think perhaps uh, setting some national standards around testing and long term care. We've seen in some provinces, Ontario in particular, that's that's been a disaster. And one of the reasons it's been a disaster is that we're just not testing the employees, asymptomatic employees in long-term care homes enough. And you have to keep in mind, most of these employees come from very population-dense uh, areas in large cities uh, that, tend to be, that tend to have large um, uh, multi-ethnic populations. And that's where we have the highest infection rates for a whole host of sociologic, right. so, socioeconomic reasons. But I, 
I, I think where, where perhaps some of the provinces are falling short is in that testing strategy. And I think that's a role the federal government should be playing, particularly as it pertains to long, long-term care. Right. Okay. Uh, so, Samar, is there more, uh, uh, touch on what Omar said, more, more the federal government should be doing here? Because the bottom line here is, I know you suggest that, you know, the pundits pay a little more attention to this, but I think the, the, the issue here is that Canadians need to hear a clear message about how, how they're supposed to behave, what they're supposed to expect, if you're going to get buy-in for people to fight as a team uh, against the pandemic. And is that is that... Is the messaging clear to Canadians? No, the message isn't clear to Canadians. That's that's part of that's part of the problem. I say the provinces are very clear on what role the federal government can play. They've asked time and time again for rapid tests, for rapid testing to be approved in 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 Canada, for them to have access to it, for rapid tests to be made available, um, you know, at the border in long-term care homes and so on. So I'd say the government should, the federal government should focus on the things that are in its purview and the things that it can control, and it, it hasn't been doing that so far. I mean, we heard the threat of, of imposing the, uh, the Emergencies Act, and instead of focusing on what the provinces are doing wrong, the feds should be focusing on what they can do to help mitigate the problem. We know that millions of people are coming through the border as essential workers. Well, none of them are being traced. They're not being tested, and we don't know where they're going once they come into the country and how they may or may not be spreading the virus if they do have it. So. I'd say there is a ton of work for the federal government to be doing, and they should be focusing on what's in their purview. Kiyavash, how do you feel about that? So if, if you say the Team Canada approach seems to be falling apart somewhat, how does, how does the federal government lead a process to try and pull it back together? Uh, I mean, to begin with, they have to start leading. I, I feel like they're, they're, to a great extent, missing from action. Uh, a lot of the conversations seem to be about jurisdiction and trying to grandstand each other as opposed to bringing everybody together and figuring out what the next steps are. At the end of the day, a citizen of Canada is a citizen of Canada. And I would say the same thing at the at the city levels, you know, to have a different set of rules in Peel versus York versus Bond versus uh, Toronto doesn't make sense because it's okay. not like you actually realize a GPS in your head going off that the rules have changed now. All right. I think All we right. need to have a uh, Team Canada approach and it requires federal leadership quick, at, the, at that group. Quick comments to end our, our uh, time today. Let's talk about the climate framework unveiled by the government today. Omar, uh, the Prime Minister continually refer, refers to the climate crisis we're facing and yet uh, the first set of targets we'll see uh, you know, out of this uh, framework will, will be 2030. There's no penalty for not meeting the targets. Uh, he promised a more aggressive approach to fighting climate change. Does this, is this that? Well, you have to understand that the, the, the Prime Minister also faces a number of conservative-oriented premiers across the country, many of whom, quite frankly, I don't think believe that climate change is a real existential crisis. So, you know, I, I think it's promising that the federal government has set targets. I think they've moved the targets up from what uh, they were previously thinking about. But, you know, we have a government here in Ontario that is spending taxpayers' money uh, putting, you know, ridiculous stickers uh, <laughs> or forcing businesses to post ridiculous stickers, you know, falsely claiming uh, that, a, that a federal carbon tax or price on pollution is going to come out of their pockets when it's not. Um, I think if the provinces spent, particularly the provinces governed by conservative premiers, I think if they spent a little bit more time actually coming up with uh, robust responses to fight climate change rather than picking useless political fights with the federal government, uh, I think we'd be a lot further along. All right, Samar, what do you think of what we saw unveiled by the Liberal government today? 
Well, I think it's it's funny to see that you know the government was nowhere nowhere near being on the path to achieve its 2030 targets. So what it did is it moved the goalpost 20 years down the line to 2050, and then changed changed uh, the commitments to net zero. If you can't, if you're nowhere and, uh, near but to be, your to, be, to be fair here, no no federal government's ever hit any of the targets any of them ever set. You're uh, you're, you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So they've moved the goalposts down the line, probably knowing they won't achieve net zero and nobody will achieve net zero in 2050, and then pretending that they actually have a, t- uh, a framework or a plan to tackle climate change in Canada, which, you know, frankly, we don't. And if that's what we're deciding to do as a society, to, to set these targets we know we can't reach and pretend we're actually addressing climate change, then we have to have a more serious conversation. And I want to say, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm not saying leaving anybody sort of out, out of the out of the formula here. I think the conservatives also have to come to the table with a credible right. cl- plan to address climate change. Uh, I think some our signals froze in there. I, so let me move to you, Kiev Ash, for a f- final comment from you. Uh, what's what do you make of this framework released today? Uh, you know, Peter, we are five years into the Justin Trudeau mandate and he is still operating under Stephen Harper's targets. And he has failed to meet any of those targets. What we see today, instead of the green revolution that we had been promised back in September, uh, what we see today is a thin bill that is going to push any of the targets. The first reporting on it would be 2030. Mm. And even if they don't meet, uh, whichever government doesn't meet those targets, the only punishment they would have to have is that they have to write a report. I don't think this is the way that you're going to be dealing with this existential crisis of climate change. And I really hope that Parliament can really change this bill into something meaningful. All right. We'll see what happens. Uh, Thank you all for your time today. Uh, Good to talk to all of you. And we'll talk again soon. Take care. Pleasure. Thanks so much. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics from all of us here at CPAC. Thanks again for watching, and I'll see you next time. Take care.